We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 20 together. This is God's holy word. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled, that's that Texas coming out, they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, uh, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, you know the dangers as we come to this season. You know the dangers of the trappings of uh, a culture that celebrates a holiday without a Christ. Um, you know the, the trappings of our, our church world where it can just become uh, busy with the next event, the next thing. Um, you know the, the danger of our over-awareness of some of the same uh, passages that we read and read year after year. Would you shock us out of our complacency? Would you meet us in the normalcy of the moment? And make this new to us again? Would you give us eyes and ears and soften hearts to hear the gospel anew and afresh in all of its wonder and scandal? Would you shake us and then remake us and establish us firmly on the ground of Christ our Savior in whose name we pray, amen. From one of my favorite authors. It's a lengthy quote. The child born in the night among beasts, the sweet breath and steaming dung of beasts, and nothing is ever the same again. Those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of Him again. Once they've seen Him in a stable, they can never be sure where He will appear or to what lengths He will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation He will descend in His wild pursuit of man. If holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, 
then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from His power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is just where we seem most helpless that He is most strong and just where we least expect Him that He comes most fully. And that is good. That's Frederick Beekner. B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, in his book, The Hungering Dark. And that is the thought at the center of our theme for Advent in our series this year. That what he says, there is no place or time or people so lowly, but that holiness can be present there too. And verse 10 of the passage that we read earlier says that, as the angels announce, that... Um, this is good news for all the people. Advent is God coming for all the people, no matter how far out they've been cast. And so what we will consider in the next four Sundays is akin to a stone being dropped in the middle of a, a pond or a, a large puddle. And what we're going to do is throw the rock in today, and we're going to watch the ripples as they move Further and further out. And the first ripple today is we're going to look at the shepherds. And they're the first, and they are removed from society. But as we progress, we're actually going to get further out from society. And if you ask the question, who won't Christ rescue in his advent? And I hope you're shocked by the wonders of this grace come Christmas morning, because we're going to see that ripple cover the entire earth. But you know, as I, as I prayed so uh, bluntly, you know that hope is hard to maintain. Dana is very cynical. <laughs> hope is hard to maintain. She expressed hope, I'm sorry, a lack of hope, that in our changes to the worship center, that we will maintain the quality of obedience that we've received this morning. We need to stay timely. We need to share deeply and get back where we are. Dana gives you people two weeks before you revert back to your bad habits. And that's just a silly thing. But hope, hope in a world like ours is hard to maintain. I'm glad that we have a candle to call us back to the light of Christ. You know that hope is hard to maintain in the dark. And patience is a sour vine with sweet fruit. And so, because God knows our hopeless and impatient condition, because He knows it, He graciously gives us seasons like Advent, seasons like Lent. Because in those seasons, what we do is we train our hearts to long expectantly, to desire the fullness of His presence, to see even now, with the eyes of faith, a world reestablished in justice and joy. And so because of that hope, that desire, that longing for holy patience and restoration, because of that, Advent is a weapon that we wield against calloused hearts, against soulless consumerism, and against the schmaltzy 
tinsel draped in trappings of a flying Nordic elf. Advent means God is coming to get us, coming to make his home with us, coming to set his people free. Advent is God coming in the flesh. In this Advent for the Outcast series, we begin first, as I mentioned, with the shepherds. Late September 2018, an Arizona Border Patrol agent pleaded guilty, and I need clarification from lawyers later. We have a few lawyers. Why is it pleaded and not pled? I didn't bleed it on my shirt. I bled on it. I need to know why that is. It drives me bananas. This Border Patrol agent pleaded guilty <laughs> to accidentally starting a fire that caused more than $8 million in damages. Last, that, that spring of 2018, he and his wife had some friends out to their desert property in southern Arizona to do this thing that people are doing nowadays called a gender reveal party. And their gender reveal with his specialty as an Arizona, as a Border Patrol agent, uh, involved an explosive material called tannerite. Um, with blue dye on top of it. And as he took his rifle and drew down on the Tannerite and shot it, and the explosion and the blue shot into the air, they knew, their friends knew they were having a boy. And the fire that those folks lit scorched more than 45,000 acres, which is why he pleaded it guilty. And that's kind of like our passage this morning. This is the most explosive and far-reaching gender reveal in human history. And it didn't come through law enforcement, didn't come through a party, but it came through a crowd far, far more sketchy. It came through shepherds. The shepherds were the truckers of the ancient world. And so imagine, if you will, Prince Harry and Princess Meghan Markle flying into Grove, Oklahoma, and driving over to an Afton truck stop and to entrust for the sake of the world the broadcasting of their news about the birth of their son. That would be very, very odd to, to come from the, 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 the Windsor Castle in England all the way to Afton, Oklahoma to a grease spoon diner and tell tatted up furry men, we're going to have a boy. <laughs> Isn't that great? It would be ludicrous. Men in handlebar mustaches don't care about a child born to the house of Windsor. In that day and age of Jesus, shepherds were among the least trusted and most distasteful of any working class. Um, there's a four-tier chart that I can uh, supply you if you're interested of questionable jobs from this time period. Um, um, a scholar who's since passed, uh, jo Joachim Jeremias is his name, um, wrote a couple of books. One of them is Jerusalem in the time of Jesus, and in Jeremias' book, he creates this uh, four-tier chart, and so when you get to the bottom of tier one, you move to the top of tier 
two. More and more questionable occupations. So in tier two, there are three jobs listed. Number one is a dung collector. You want that gig? I don't want that gig. I've actually had that gig. Number two is a copper smelter. Number three is a tanner, someone who deals with hides. So those weren't necessarily dishonorable um, positions. They were repugnant due to the rancid smell associated with the labor that you were, were assigned. And if you were going to get married and and I am the copper smelter, and I go with my fiance, and we fill out our form for the priest, and I say, yeah, I'm a copper smelter. If, if, if any of those three things are listed on our certificate, she can legally divorce me. The wife can legally divorce the husband if he's got one of these three. And here's all she has to tell the priest. I thought I could endure it, but now I cannot endure it. And that's legal. Okay, and that's tier two. Shepherds are in tier four. They sit between pigeon trainer and tax collector. I don't know what they do with trained pigeons, but I would be intrigued to find out. But apparently they were really low. So your town's dung collector in the time of Christ would look down his nose and, and quietly or loudly judge the shepherds in the same way that the business owner would look down his nose and quietly judge the dung collector. So do you see how far removed the shepherds are from common society? But why? Why, why is this the reality? And the answer is there's no real reason other than the social stigma that's associated in the Jewish mindset with living outside of the community of faith. Those that had touched a dead body or were suffering from some sickness, think of the lepers who would have to announce their uncleanness. Those people who were made unclean for a time or a season or a lifetime could not live in society. They had to live out in, in hovels, in, in caves, out from society. They couldn't be around people until they could present themselves healed and make the appropriate sacrifices. And so the shepherds were not around regularly. They wouldn't have been known. They, they couldn't have been assessed by the crowds. And so they couldn't be welcomed or trusted or brought in. And to make matters worse, to make it more complicated, they would stink really bad. They, 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 they were camping full time. They were virtually homeless for the most part. And not just that, but they were, they were camping full time around beasts, animals. There was no hygiene. There, there, was, there was nothing available for them. And they're in the desert. It's not like they could take a nightly wash and they would look scary. They would be furry. They would have crazy beards. And their robes would be unkempt and stained. And on top of all of that, they also had a life that brought them into regular contact with dangerous beasts who wanted to take and kill their livelihood. And so they would be scary, stinky, smelly, 
and willing to fight wild animals. There's a boldness and a, a bravery that's there in their craziness. So there's all of that going on, and, and at some point it just shifted, but there's no reason for them to be viewed that way. So these guys have the greatest stigmas attached to them that a male Jewish uh, man can have. They have no civil rights whatsoever. Um, it was written at the time that herdsmen, shepherds, tax collectors, for herdsmen, tax collectors, and publicans, repentance is hard. But these guys were needed to raise the, the, the sheep, the required sacrifices, for others to be able to offer for forgiveness, but they found no forgiveness for themselves because they wouldn't be welcomed in the temple courts into the time of worship. They were despised. They were ostracized. In fact, the Jewish court system considered them utterly trustworthy as witnesses. And so if they observed a crime, if they, if they saw something, they could, their, their, their testimony was meaningless. Their testimony was meaningless. And so why, in the first announcement to the public, did God trust them with this precious news? Why? He could have, he could have told any of the kings or the leaders. And he told the people that are way out, they're out past the outskirts. They're so far in the country, they have to head into town if they want to hunt. So there's your shepherd status. But there are shepherd echoes. Through most of Genesis, we see that God's people tend flocks. All of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then later Jacob's sons and families, when they are migrating to Egypt to escape the famine in the land of Canaan, we learn that Pharaoh's clean-shaven court looks down on the rough and bearded uh, shepherds. And so what's funny, if you uh, want to, you can turn to Genesis 46. This is uh, Jacob, the, the dad, the, the, the father of the 12 sons, and Joseph, the youngest son, his favorite with his uh, technicolor dream coat, uh, who the brothers had lied about um, being killed. And this is, the, this is the culmination of that story. Genesis 46, verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to say uh, to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him, fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die. I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, Listen, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the, the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls to you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph hatches a plot 
as the vice president, as it were, of Egypt. I want you guys to come in and look. This land, they don't really care about it, and they don't like you type of furry shepherd type folks. It's great land. When he asks you what you do, because you know that he doesn't like it, tell him that, and he'll put you on that land. It's brilliant. So back at the time of the patriarchs, we, the people of faith, viewed sheep herders with dignity and with honor. But somehow from then until the time of Christ, that ended and we viewed them with eyes of uh, cynicism. We, we saw them as sketchy, um, shady characters. So we have to wonder what happened. Well, it seems that during their 400 year stay in Egypt, that the Hebrew people adopted the customs of the people of Egypt. You, you hear this again and again as the Lord is leading them out into their land. Oh, that we were back in Egypt. We had leeks there. We had onions. We, oh, Egypt was great. You were enslaved, people. You're going to your own home here. Quit longing for that. But they longed for it. They, uh, they began to adopt cultural realities of their oppressors and so they began in that time to look down on sheep herders and so from the exodus onward references to shepherds and shepherding are met with furrowed brow the shock of the choice of david was not just that he was the youngest of jesse's kids but that his family was one of them one of those people, one of the shepherds. Now, it might be uh, a helpful cultural point to note that the men most regularly assigned to the task of shepherd were either the old men who were typically too infirm to um, fight with a sword in an army type situation, but they could walk with a staff and lead sheep. So you would have the very old men um, or the youngest boy of the family, because when the father died and the inheritance was split up, the oldest male got half, and then everything else was just divided. So he would barely have anything by the time the, the hand-me-down shoes made it to the last guy. They were slicks. They, they had no traction left. Well, So we're going to make him the shepherd with the old grandpa, and they'll be paired together. And soon he'll be the old grandpa, and we'll have another young one to put in there that's typically how that would go which again is why God's choice of little handsome David the shepherd that choice was no less a shock than the angel's announcement in Luke that God it seems prefers his high and dignified leaders to have a resume entrance where shepherd is listed that boy his occupation and his royal calling are all at play in the angel's announcement to these shepherds. So imagine you are a young shepherd uh, in this time, in this day and age where you know everyone looks askance at you. You don't have many um, posters of superstar hero shepherds on your eight-year-old wall in your room. But one you might have would be David, right? David was the king, but before he was a king, he was like me. You, you can understand that, right? So when the angel comes and says to these shepherds, 
Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That means something to them. It intersects with their reality in a way that makes this more special than anything else. Shepherds, listen up. David the shepherd king has another shepherd king like him, like you. Come to join your ranks from here to the end of time is God the king, the shepherd of his people. So the coming of Jesus is, it is the redemption of all mankind, but it's also the restoration of shepherds from a place of ill repute back to a place of honor and dignity. God doesn't much care what the world defines as cool or desirable. He knows exactly what form his love needs to take for us to be floored when we grasp it for the first time. And so when Jesus comes, he comes as a shepherd. So listen to this passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And that's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Abraham who was what? A shepherd. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now this is a passage as we see there at the end that's written to prove that Jesus is a more faithful high priest but there's also a lot of shepherding language in there too that he will lead them, he will deliver them. Verse 10, he's bringing us to glory, leading us through his own suffering. Verse 11, he's not ashamed to call even us his brothers and sisters. Verse 14, He's partaken of the same reality as an outcast. Verse 17, he's made like his brothers in every respect. And so think of this component of the shepherding world, that for for the shepherd, sacrifice is always in view every day. He raises the sheep that he doesn't eat. He does get to harvest their wool, and, and turn it in um, to make clothes to sell, to buy food that he can eat, but he doesn't eat the lambs, but he does sell them to the temple that they would be sacrificed. Ultimately, each of the sheep that he grows to love by protecting and serving will be sold as temple sacrifices or to families for feasting. But here in Hebrews 2.17, 
we have this promise that the lamb, in fact, has died for the sheep. That in his coming to be like us, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world sacrificed himself for the propitiation of the sheep that wandered astray. And in Christ, the disdain of shepherds was reclaimed. He who moves among the lowly as his chosen crowd. That God loves the unpretentious because that is the, lo- the, the heart of God is unpretentious love. The love of God took on the form of a tireless, brave, tender, and fierce outcast that we might be here today. Jesus says of himself to his disciples in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Later, the writer of Hebrews says in his benediction to the churches, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And this apostle Peter who spent so much time with Jesus, who was the constant uh, foot-in-mouth disciple that we all love because we see so much of ourself in him. Peter calls Christ the chief shepherd, who when he appears will grant unending glory to those who've waited and longed for his coming. Good, great, chief. The announcement went first to shepherds. Because those were most revelatory examples of who and how God would be when he took on flesh. He was like Abraham. He was like the patriarchs. He was like Moses when he had fled. He was like David and Amos the prophet. And this ragtag bunch of roughshod, shaggy, smelly wanderers. God's people aren't much to look at when they look like Jesus. But he comes to them and entrusts them with treasure. And so there's a place for us here to consider during Advent the fact that we are not that different in our world's estimation than these shepherds were in their world's estimation. So the best way for us to clearly communicate what the incarnation means is to follow their lead. First, let's go see Jesus. Let's worship him with the angels in glory and with one another. One of the best things we can do in Advent to train our hearts the way Caleb was talking about it is being here and being together and hearing God's promises echoed in song from the people who have committed their lives to him like you have. And secondly, to such an extent that our celebrations and wonder at what has occurred could never be confused with the consumerism that is the holidays or even Christmas, really. I don't think the point is it's holier or more Christian to say Merry uh, Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. I think the far greater shock than fighting about terminology is that we become known as those people who keep on talking about how God became a man, how God became a poor man, how God became a despised man who was willing to give his life just to prove how much God loves his children. We've got to figure out how to keep saying that to one another in ways that the world will overhear, the way the villagers overheard these shepherds praising and retelling their story 
to Mary and Joseph. Now, as the angels leave in our story, the shepherds go. They go to Bethlehem, these untrustworthy witnesses, probably the only ones in a packed town who are delighted with the upgrade of a barn. You guys have a barn? Man, we've been in a field forever. This is awesome. This is way better than being out there. And we have to struggle. We put up our Christmas decorations yesterday. Many of the decorations are out here. And we, many of us have the nativity scene, the creche in our home. And it's just so unrealistic. It's so peaceful. It's so polished. But if you could place yourself in that barn where Mary had just been screaming for hours, fighting the pain of childbirth, thanks Eve for that, with the smell of blood, the stench of manure in the air, animals in their pens. It's horrid. What God has no business being there. But who else belongs in a shepherd with this king but these shepherds? The smell they're pulling into their lungs is the glory of God in the dust of earth. And it had been quite a long time since the Lord had walked with Adam in the cool of the day. But here he is again, different, even more glorious. And so picture the excited prattling on from these shepherds as they talk over one another to retell Mary and Joseph their UFO experience so loudly that everybody else is eavesdropping about the impossibility of angels singing a song of salvation. You see what's happening there. The outcasts are being listened to. They're being believed. May the same come true in our own days. We hear a few times from Luke regarding Mary that Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. And we have that here in our text in verse 19. Followed by these workers, these shepherds, going back into the fields worshiping God for what they'd heard, what they'd experienced. And that's a perfect Advent path for us to walk as well. To treasure these things in our heart, these gospel realities that God has come in the flesh to reunite himself with you. That God has come to the lowly as one who is himself lowly. That's treasure. And then to follow their lead, going back out into their vocation, for the works and deeds of the gospel. Here we see a babe, a shepherd, and a long-awaited king, and we have to go back out and preach that and live that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, who's our great shepherd, and of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, make this uh, shocking reality new to us again. May we feel the the desperation of people who in darkness were longing for light. May we taste their sorrows and their tears as we long to be restored, to be reclaimed and redeemed. May we have the hope and the promise to treasure up what you have revealed in our hearts and so live as a people who hope, who hope in a world that's hopeless, uh, who hope because Christ The lamb has been slain for the sheep. He gave his life. He took it back again and poured out your spirit. Let us be the people of the spirit 
this Advent season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>